Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, the podcast where we learn from cybersecurity experts how to stay safe, private, and secure on the cloud and in code. CSCP is hosted by Francesco Cipollone, your cybersecurity friend with a passion for all things cyber and sharing stories of other professionals with you. This episode is sponsored by AppSec Phoenix, the next generation application security platform, enabling organizations to run application security programs in a smart way. Visit www.appsecphoenix.com to learn more. Welcome to the third season of the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. This season will focus on application and cloud security. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. Today, we're kicking off season three. I can't believe we are on season three. It's three years we've been doing this. And yeah, you know, we, we like to start with very big name, but unfortunately, we can. So we got Chris McAvoy. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, we got a, a returning guest, and I, and I was chasing Chris for a little bit of a long time, and he finally agreed to make us the honor to come on the show. So <laughs> I really appreciate Chris is the CISO of Tanium, a good friend, a, a cross-collaborator on the Cloud Security Alliance, a super technical CISO. So we're going to explore some of these topics. But before we kick off, let's, Chris, give us a little bit of background of what he's been up to. Chris, welcome to the show. Oh, Frank, you've stolen all my jokes already, man. <laughs> That's how I was going to start the season three. <laughs> I genuinely thank you for having me. It's great It's great to be back. Were we, were we chatting on, I mean, we chat too often. Were we chatting in season one, I think? Was that yeah, right? I think it was season one. And we are actually bringing up season one as we speak. So probably everybody, uh, when this goes live, the, the whole season one will be republished or in you to republishing. Oh, awesome. So you'll have your episode and probably we'll try to bring this at the same time of the of the first episode that we did. So we see the before the before Chris and the after Chris. <laughs> I, was say shit. I can't remember what we discussed, but no, thank you for having me genuinely. Uh, CISO at Tanium, obviously Frank and I have spent a lot of time at Cloud Security Alliance and various other kind of industry gigs and whatnot. So uh, yeah, been in the industry, well, I suppose in technology, 20 years. Security, kind of 15 of those. CISO Atanium, I was at Zscaler. Well, so we were in Europe, I mean, Zscaler prior to that. And then, you know, a background in um, end user organizations. So that's kind of where I cut my teeth, kind of security architecture, leading security orgs, kind of banks, retail and stuff. And uh, yeah, you and I generally have some quite interesting conversations. I like that you called me a technical CISO. So getting nervous where we're going to go. But yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Beware and be prepared. I was say, I is there an exam? There's an exam at the end of this or something. Yeah. I think I think now I remember uh the first season we recorded after one of my talk and we were actually went into a rabbit hole of really, really deep technical from the very beginning of your architect role on how to evolve. So this time I'm going to catch your slack and we're going to focus and ask you as an executive, how do you see from fundamentally uh, the world changing and specifically in the last year between COVID and everything else that has happened? How did you see the world changing and where do you see us going? Yeah. Wow. What, what a great question to start. I mean, I think, I don't know. I mean, from, from, from a Italian perspective, from kind of my org, like I'm a CISO who runs a security org that is almost exclusively US based. Right. So kind of my day-to-day engagement prior to the pandemic was pretty much exclusively sort of Zoom and um, Slack or other messaging and collaboration platforms are available. So for us as an org where, where that was kind of the, the before COVID, 
and also as an organization who were kind of SaaS first, like a lot of our security capabilities, we're of the opinion we have great security engineers, we have great developers, but you know, watering and feeding infrastructure is not something that we want to do unless we have to. So right. we were largely direct to internet. So the, the pandemic brought more, I would say, kind of personnel or, or um, kind of environmental problems that people were used to doing threat modeling in person, or they were used to having those water cooler conversations around, you know, particular projects or, you know, conversations around security incidents in war rooms. So for me, that was the biggest challenge was, was getting the organization to be as happy, efficient and effective doing everything like we're doing this rather than, than kind of doing it in person. I mean, more broadly from an industry perspective, I think you've got those organizations who had already kind of, I suppose, started on that, cloud native journey and you know we're already looking to kind of minimize data center footprint and in those organizations maybe the pandemic from a technology and a security perspective wasn't as problematic you know for things like configuration management vulnerability management patching compliance audit blah 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 but yeah that's kind of that's i suppose that's kind of my viewpoint it's certainly been a catalyst for those orgs who have been kind of legacy on-prem architectures to think about how they cope with what 80 to like 100 percent of their workforce being remote, you know, I mean, there's, there's tons of stats on phishing, aren't there? I'm, I, I don't, we're already getting super technical, but like, I, I'm not sure, you know, there's always a pretext, isn't there? There's always like something that's of the day that people use as, as kind of like their pretext for, for phishing. But of course, the pandemic has been has been responsible for some of that. But yeah, that's like the longest answer to a very simple question. But that's why I introduced you as a technical season because we love to give very long-winded answer to very simple yeah apologies (laughs) no I think I think you nail on point and and I think I saw today from Gardner that uh, cyber security spending especially in cloud security has grown in the last year Uh, it was probably uh, the 40 40 percent of the total available uh, cyber security spending uh, that, that was spent last year. So definitely organizations are getting out of the traditional data center and maybe the pandemic has accelerated massively that if that's going to remain the case, who knows? But I was actually fairly surprised on the stability of the data center without the odd fire here and there of things exploding and getting on fire, uh, not naming names, but <clears throat> yes. Uh, <laughs> and I'm not biased at all, but you know. I, I was leaving that incident from the inside, so it was not fun. Definitely speaking, not fun. So from a from a cloud perspective, it's actually quite scary of the amount of overload. Or or I saw some friend from uh, Microsoft and Azure uh, running out of capacity. The cloud ran out of capacity in Europe, so that was very very interesting space. Completely, the the infinitely scalable, always available cloud that's run out of capacity. <laughs> Ultimately, it's just bloody data center somewhere yeah. <laughs> with somebody yeah. maintaining it. But yeah, it's completely. it's it's amazing how much we we have shifted in mentality. We still finally talking about zero day and maybe cloud security <laughs> finally. But it, it was interesting. Have you seen have you seen the trend changing from zero day to cloud security and now? Uh, run somewhere what, what is the topic what is the trending topic these days in the exec board on, or what keeps other executive at bay and how do you demystify this and say you know guys it's still the same threat it's it's just somebody else is banging the drum <laughs> i was just gonna say it's just someone else's uh data center it reminded me of a, of a t-shirt slogan or a meme i saw the other day that was a, a father and, and the son and it said and the son was saying to daddy 
Daddy, what are in the clouds? And they say Linux servers mostly. <laughs> do you know, do you know I what I mean? That. It's the same shit, isn't it? I suppose what I'm seeing, and, and this kind of is aligned to sort of hiring strategies and what we're doing at Tanium, but, you know, the, the requirements for, for cyber and information security in the cloud are kind of the same, right? Like protect the assets, the confidentiality, integrity, availability of those assets. But how you do that in a, and you mentioned Azure and AWS, but, you know, a, a public cloud first um, environment, I, I think is profoundly different. Like I, I don't know if you're the same, Frank, but I went through that track of kind of MCSE and did my CompTIA A plus right. and network plus stuff that was, you know, largely built on N-tier architecture stuff. And, you know, I think everyone roughly our age, I'm lumping you into my bucket now. I know you're younger than me, but still roughly the same age. Uh, <laughs> I went down that hey, path. I've seen some NT still running around. I've I've interacted, I've interacted with some old stuff. I was I was last year I was dealing with COBOL. So <laughs> my best is like network five or something. But yeah, we're roughly okay. We, we, we'll take that as a as a draw. But um, you know, the skills that are required for cloud native environments, like getting people to understand how AWS works, you know, at a bits and bytes level and mm. translating those kind of policies that you had for on-prem infrastructure into like I suppose appropriate implementation guides for you know, how you provide defense in depth in AWS, how you're taking information from kind of cloud trail and guard duty and bringing that into your kind of IR environment. I think, I think the skills are different. I think most, and again, I don't have any stats to hand to prove this, but I'm highly confident that this can be back, can be back with some form of empirical evidence is that, you know, misconfiguration is kind of the overarching kind of vulnerability, I think, in, in kind of cloud environments. Like things are made to be point and click. They're made to be incredibly easy for the end user to get new services on board that's right. kind of like the, 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 that's the go-to-market isn't it that's the stickiness of, of the providers so ensuring that you have continuous monitoring and configuration management that's a massive focus of mine i mean yeah preventative controls are great and ensuring that like you're you know you have your vpcs locked down or whatever the equivalent is in azure but you know being able to detect change in a cloud environment being able to alert on that and in a lot of cases through like saw technologies or I remediate those changes. That's that's a lot of focus for, for CISOs. It's a massive focus of mine. And another thing for us as a company, like we've kind of shifted from that sort of traditional product company, right? Like I don't want to call it monolithic, but we deliver maybe two major releases a year. Don't quote me on that, maybe four, I don't know, two or four. Mm-hmm. And and now we've shifted to this model with our kind of as a service platform of you know dropping code yes. every week. Yeah, exactly that, mate. Like every week, every other week. And I know the security function goes through that fairly kind of, I suppose it's a profound shift, isn't it? Uh, you know, you get four weeks to review a design, write a security design. And now we're like, right, we're doing this this week and it's going to get dropped at the end of the week. Like how do we as an org change our way of engaging to, to a very kind of lightweight model for design and threat modeling. So that's what I focus on. And that's what my board expects is just, you know, an appreciation that we're now like a cloud service provider to some multinational orgs, many of them. And, um, you know, designing our controls, I suppose, in the cloud appropriately. Another long answer. That's nice because I think Sneak published some some recent stuff on uh, a cloud security things, and, and and don't quote me on this, but I think it was close to forty or 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 eighty percent of breaches were due to misconfiguration. So it's quite a huge number. And uh, AWS and other guys are doing amazing work with the control tower or landing or X landing zone to actually pre-prepare a lot of environment, but it takes a lot of maturity from organization to get to that point. 
and to automate a lot of things. Most of the time, you know, you can create a tool, you can create a super a super fast cars, but then, you know, if you don't know how to drive it, you're going to crash it immediately, right? <laughs> totally. And th there's a shift as well, right? Like we, 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 I'm lumping us in the same, in the same boat again, but, you know, grew up with this concept of you have a vulnerability, you identify it, you patch it, you know, in a lot of kind of cloud native, certainly in the microservices architecture, you look much more towards, right, you need to update whatever that base image is. You know, images, yeah. Like immutability and whatnot. So that becomes that becomes a challenge or certainly something for, for security teams and I suppose SREs and, and, and engineering teams to, to get over is how you apply the, the appropriate level of vulnerability management, I suppose. But maybe, and, and I'm fairly biased, I think that the model ha has changed from an infrastructure perspective because of the ephemerality now of the cloud of infrastructure with either Docker or uh, the, the more native one. And I'm going to go on a rant on that because I had actually a good topic on it. But fundamentally, I still see that model very much applicable to application security and the traditional world of you know code libraries, you know, web infrastructure, you still need to go and triage through that. But before we jump in that amazing rabbit hole, I wanted to ask, you mentioned a really good point that is, you know, you shifted from more monolithic release to more weekly release. So how has your team coped and changed in that kind of organization? What, and because you're not going to be unique, you know, a lot of organizations that shifted for cloud native offering a SaaS solution out of the blue, you know, they need to cope with this, very fast-paced, continuous integration, continuous release. So what would be your you know, top three tips or suggestion between hiring or adapting an existing team in, in this kind of environment? Wow, totally didn't prepare three. Okay. More <laughs> um, knew you were going to ask me that. Um, I, I, the first thing that stood out to me then was, you know, and it's just so cheesy, but it's true, like working cross-functionally, like everyone's used to the security function being this vertical function and resources go wherever and stuff. So when we look at kind of our security engineering or our cloud engineering organization, we have resources. And while they ultimately report into the CISO org, they are kind of directly within the daily conversations that happen within our engineering and our cloud engineering organizations. And that's something that I've done in a, in a number of organizations, because by the time you've actually raised a request to engage a security architect or engineer, they're engaged on the project, they get familiarity with a particular epic that you're working on or even a particular sprint, like the, the product shifts. Like, you know what I mean? Like something has gone on <laughs> and you've just got a ton of technical debt that someone has said, hey, we've done this thing. Are you okay with it? So getting them to be involved in those daily security standups, getting someone to be, you know, sitting there with the developers, with the engineers, with the SREs and then kind of working that way. But as a, as a security team as well, we have had to become a lot more agile. I think the industry, not just um, anything special, like the industry has had to become an awful lot more agile. And if you know, developers or, or SREs or, or whoever you have in your, your building infrastructure, generally SREs, if they're writing things, quote unquote, as code, so let's say in Terraform, mm -hmm. they're putting things into a Jenkins pipeline and then they're shipping them out in either a continuous delivery or deployment model. Like we have to ensure that wherever possible, let's say we're a caveat wherever possible, <laughs> the, the security org is trying to do the same thing, right? So if you can embed like static analysis tools in the pipeline, if you can do some form of, Kind of secrets identification and dust and various other things before things are shipped that great like it's not always possible like i hear tons of people at conferences say hey just shift security left and codify everything and the world's fine but there is a there is a balancing act right because you know something if a static analysis tool takes 20 minutes to run 
you don't want it on your kind of production branch of the kind of like your Jenkins pipeline because everyone in engineering will kill you and say security is slowing down the <laughs> slowing down the business, right? So there is a balance, but where we can move things to the left, we we try to. But yeah, I'm certainly not a CISO who says everything is automated. But if it's something that can be automated, scripted up, then then try to. This episode is brought to you by the generosity of AppSec Phoenix Limited. AppSec helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security problems by using smart data aggregation and complex machine learning software. Discover how AppSec Phoenix helps CISO and developers remove friction and maximize the use of DevSecOps professionals at www.appsecphoenix.com. AppSec Phoenix is the new and smart dev-first way to manage your software vulnerability. Follow the tag, hashtag AppSecSmart. And then from the from the requirements side, kind of trying to define up front and use kind of baseline standards that are out there. Like ASVS from iWASP is kind of awesome with yes. hey, kind of from an overarching what should you do from an AppSec perspective, like getting that documented, getting those things readily available for developers. And again, we're working on that. We're doing some great work there. So does that answer your does that answer your question? Yeah, no, I think I think you touch on a few great points on how effectively your security people are more are getting more developer um, yeah, empathic and working together with the sprint planning working together with the retrospective but for example are you working very closely with the product backlog are you getting ahead of or for example are you creating security pattern it's like uh, how do you approach the you know the design space or the reactive space are you are you tackling more into the reactive and vulnerability management or are you trying to get ahead of the curve with the design space I'm sure you knew I'd say this. It's a it's a bit of both. So if you kind of break down our, secu- our security, I, I love to tease you, but <laughs> yeah, no, I know. But like, if you take if you take kind of like traditional security engineering and operations, which has kind of vulnerability management, configuration management, building security services, like we adopt again. Shout out to a guy called Mike Middleton. So Mike, uh, so again, without blowing titanium's titanium's horn too much, we recently won a CSO 50 award for kind of our approach to kind of agile management and security tasks and we we use kanban a lot for engineering so we do have that backlog we do have that the business has asked us to do something and then we would kind of force rank that based on the impact that that will have to our broad range of stakeholders because it's not just our go-to-market initiatives it's our marketing team our finance our sales team we would look at you know the severity or the urgency of the particular request. Like it might be in a sensitive environment, but it might be able to wait a period of time before it's executed. And we try to manage all eng and a lot of ops things through that path. And I don't have it today, but I'll, I'll find a link for you for, for Mike's piece that, that he wrote on that. But from a project perspective, we do try and meet our engineering and our development teams in worlds that they're comfortable with. So like if they're raising all defects in Jira, for me, it's most prudent for us to be identifying potential risks and you know security um kind of enhancement requests within that environment and the only real requirement that i have is if you've got kanban tooling on the left hand side and you've got kind of jira on the right hand side or other tools are available so long as the overarching kind of security visibility at board level is is coherent that's that's the most important thing i think no i love it i love the i love the visibility aspect and how do you think that, you know, in a more traditional CISO world, how do you think that we can bring more visibility to the board? And I have a, a particularly challenging question following on of this, that is, 
how do you shift the mentality of, you know, breaking traditionally the pipeline if there is a defect into more having those kind of education and conversation and moving towards a risk management kind of perspective yeah. rather than, you know, uh, fix the things in this specific SLA or you are a bad, bad boy? <laughs> well, your, your malevolent smile has worried me somewhat. I don't know what the follow-up question is going to be. <laughs> that, that was the follow-up question. That oh, was I two thought, chain okay. questions. I thought there was going to be a worse one than that. Um, I asked it somewhere, really, I think we've probably jammed on this before, that the worst thing you can do, and I failed at this before, like miserably, I love the video story. Please no, tell no, no, no. Story. no. Well, no, it's a, it's a general, but we've only got like 10 minutes, right? Um, <laughs> a general failure story of, you know, thinking that the metrics that, that resonate with me and my team are going to resonate with anyone outside of security and even more broadly, IT and, and kind of the dev community, right? So something that I try and do, and I'm sure we've already talked about this before, but something I try and do is kind of take the objectives of the company. So at Tanium, we have, like, I don't know, it doesn't matter. Like maybe let's say five for the purposes of this conversation. And it's strategic business initiatives. If it's, I don't know, perception in the industry, if it's expanding into new markets, whatever the, the thing is, depending on your industry, it'll be different. In like retail, it will be how quickly can we deliver something once someone orders it? You know, various different things like that. Nothing to do with security metrics. And then from there, trying to look at kind of key risk indicators. So again, at like a really kind of high level what are the things that could materially impact this business from achieving these five or 10 things that we think are super important? And then from there, looking at the boring stuff that no one outside of security really wants to look at. So at that point, if you want to look at number of malware incidents or time it takes us to you know, investigate, like median time to investigate a security incident or time to deploy a critical patch to our production environment and building that story up so that when you go to your board or your leadership meetings or your audit committee or whatever it is i kind of have like a traffic light system so like if we need to go into any more detail than just this is going okay or this is going sort of okay or this is you know on the skids and we need to do something like having that translation of well this is at a macro level where we are and if you need to dive into the specifics we can we can kind of do that but right. like, that's that's kind of working okay for me. And like the CISOs that I work with and kind of like industry groups I'm involved with doing that. So at your board level and your executive level saying, these are the things the business wants to do. These are the things that generally are based on kind of things that have happened in the industry before and threat intelligence, you know, and, and also understanding your risk tolerance and appetite levels, which maybe we do another session on, but like building, building that up so that the business doesn't need to care that, Hey, this month we've seen 472 like malware detections in our sandbox. So like well, big work, I don't care. Like, do you know what I mean? Like that's and that's kind of what I try and avoid. Um I like I like the pushing back on on trying to be rational and trying to be uh kind of mindful of yeah, we saw these things in the news, but this is not applicable to us. I I, I like how you 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 re-leveled that because I think from an executive perspective and from a lot of executive you know, you have a board meeting and all of a sudden somebody got hacked with the specific things and are we prepared for this? And then everybody panics. And, and how do you keep, you know, you, the attention span of the team and the focus of the team on what really matters for the business? So, and I think you're doing a great job by actually level setting and, and saying what we're actually seeing is this for our business or for our partners. Yeah, well, thank you, firstly. Um, but to... <laughs> To do that, you kind of have to define what's in scope for you as an organization, right? So like part of the, put Tanium to one side there, just generally in the industry, like I hear tons of 
kind of chatter. I nearly said rhetoric. It's not rhetoric. I, I hear tons of chatter online where people say, oh, well, you know, it's a state affiliated or state sponsored actors. So they're always going to penetrate our environment. So kind of what's the point sort of thing. But actually building up like a, I suppose, a front loaded list of kind of actors quote unquote like do you know what I mean like generally who is interested in us as an organization what are the things that potentially they'd be interested in in our environment do we feel they're appropriately safeguarded and what do we do if for whatever reason they're either stolen or not available like if you proactively do that and I know that takes tons of time then when you have a an incident like a solar winds or you you, you have you know other incidents are available you can kind of give uh, I suppose, credible, coherent narrative of, of what you as an organisation do to potentially mitigate the impact of those things or hopefully prevent them from, from happening. Like you can't, again, can't prevent everything, obviously, but that's, that's um, you, generally, you generally come up with the industry stats to back up my generalisation. But yeah, that's, um, <laughs> that's what I feel. Like you had sync last time. So yeah, I don't know what your one is on that, but no, but I, I, I love the fact that you, you level set and you, you kind of saying that an executive needs to understand the business that it's working with fundamentally yeah. and understanding the risk and risk level and threat level that an organization might, might face. I am, but also slightly contrarian, I suppose. I would also say that while you have to have that business acumen for those conversations with the non-security team, you know, you called me technical earlier. I know you're incredibly technical as well, like... I do feel you still need that those technical chops to have the appropriate conversations with the other set of stakeholders that you're going to have. And I know that not everyone agrees with me on that one, but, you know, I, what was the example I gave somewhere recently? And I, I shouldn't have said this, but I'm going to say it again. So what the heck? You, a you long controversial statement. Well, well, you don't get a CFO who says, oh, I don't really understand numbers. Like, you, I, I, don't, I don't know any, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I don't know any CFO. But yeah, it seems acceptable in some businesses to say, oh, well, I'm a CFO, but like, I don't really understand cybersecurity. Technology. Yeah, do you know what I mean? So apologies for anyone. I think it's a shortage, but I think that. there is a factor that there is a shortage of people in the industry. So sometime, and and That's fair, yeah. there is a burnout level. I don't know how you lasted so long. Uh, you probably have a, an amazing routine to not burn out or you have an amazing proactiveness. But we also saw that there is, you know, churn rate is generally speaking two, three years of an executive, uh, especially on new organizations. So sometimes there isn't enough CISOs around there that are top level CISOs and sometimes organization can't pay top dollars. You know, in, in the US, I think uh, a top level CISO or VP of security is, is close to a million or something. So <laughs> not every starter. I don't, yeah, someone told me that like half an hour ago as well. Look, I'm not, I get what you're saying. Yeah, of course. Like I'm, I'm just, I think in an ideal world, if you're having those conversations with a CFO or a CTO, like, you know, invariably, they have a background in their particular discipline that they're working in. I think the best CISOs that I, it's personal view, but the best CISOs I've seen obviously have that business context and acumen and, and, and pragmatism, but they also have the ability to take what are very technical messages in their team and distill them into something business oriented. Now, in my view, you can't necessarily do that unless you have an understanding of the, the nuance of the inner workings of the technical side. Right. So I think it's a balance between managing people and, and being their buffer, but also understanding what you guys the heck are telling about because you're fundamentally still technical. It's like you have a CTO that, you know, I don't really do technology. 
<laughs> yeah, but, but but like I, I want to again. I don't want to get get like, the chest eyes for this. I but love that though. But, but, being, but being technical doesn't mean you have to understand like the construction of AES. It just means you have to like have an understanding and like a baseline of the of the foundations of cybersecurity. So this is me now digging myself out of a hole. <laughs> a very sticky topic. A very sticky topic. <laughs> that's what I think. We yeah. love controversy though in the podcast, yeah. and I think we, we throw in some stuff that got a lot of people annoyed sometimes but i think it's a good discussion topic because it's, it's a hot topic and maybe on the on the opposite sides in in the in the lower level in in the engineering level i think i was having a discussion with uh, gary McGraw, and he made a very harsh statement that if you don't code you're not fitting in security and i'm gonna report that because i said well that's not necessary to we have a shortage as well I think it's it's the best people in DevSecOps. Actually, no. It's he actually said that if you want to be part of DevSecOps, you actually need to know how to code. So, what do you think about that statement? And what do you think about you know fitting in that space and uh, back on your hiring pr- strategy? You know, when you hire a, yeah. a cloud security person or a DevSecOps person. Does it necessarily need to code up to a specific level or a generic understanding of Python is fine? Yeah. Um, well, that makes my statement feel a little bit, a little bit um more run-of-the-mill now. So I feel I feel happier. Um I, I see <laughs> it's I not only see you that you... can be controversial. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I see I certainly see where Gary's coming from. Yeah, we when we look at kind of cloud security engineers, you know, given that you're in an environment that's moving at 100 miles an hour, that everything wherever possible anyway is automated and it's Kind of infrastructure as code, and it's pipeline based. Of course, the skill set for the security professional kind of changes. You know, if you're building security solutions in a in a cloud native environment, why would you build them any differently to how you're building anything else in that environment? So, skills around cloud formation, Terraform, come to the fore. Are those as important in a corporate kind of IT security role? No, they're not. You know, if you're looking at security orchestration solutions. You probably need to know Python. I suggest probably yes, you do. So I mean, that's a fair, in my opinion, that's a fair statement. And I, I don't necessarily feel that in all roles that you need to understand, you know, every single tool mm-hmm. and every single kind of language that's being used. But you certainly need to understand agile methodologies. You certainly need to understand kind of, I suppose, the the kind of culture of DevOps and DevSecOps because it is it is different. Like if you've worked at a financial institution and hasn't gone on that journey yet and you're used to 115-page security solution designs, you can kind of forget it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You're like, you'll probably get a two-page markdown. Where's code? What's yeah, code? Yeah, 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 completely. <laughs> like, you'll get a two-page ND document, and it might have some, like, UML diagrams of some stuff that you're doing, and you, you work with that, right? And that's how yeah. you then layer on. If you can't layer on your security controls in an equally agile fashion, I think you'll just get, I suppose, just pretty disenfranchised with the whole group, really. So I'm agreeing. I'm agreeing on that point that yes, you you have a different set of skills. I think I, I like that, and I think we need multiple people in cyber. But before sure. we close off, and I don't want more, I don't want to drag you into more controversial statement. But if if you want to leave with uh, fundamentally a positive message on the industry and what you're seeing, if we're getting better or worse, but we tend to close with a very positive statement. So even if we're getting worse, just spin it in a, in, in a good way. <laughs> It's your challenge. <laughs> okay, no, I, I could do it. I don't think I've been controversial. Um, I would just say try lots of things. And I'm sure we've spoken about this as well before, but we have this industry that's like the reverse of the medical profession, where in the medical profession, you try like, you know, 
but you, before you specialize as an anesthetist you you know you try being a gp you do various things and you get to know what you like in your industry like in security i don't necessarily think we do that you you come out of college or you you know you've done a computer-based training in pen testing and then you're a pen tester for like ever or you know you've worked in appsec and what now you're just going to do appsec i think one piece of advice i would say is kind of get curious i think since since kind of I learned the, the kind of brass tacks of security, things have changed somewhat. Everything's available online. Like ask lots of questions in your business, like get involved in as many different things as you can, I suppose, in the different disciplines that are security and I'm trying to not say controversial things now, but I think given no, please so much, I'm not controversial. <laughs> given there's so much technology and things are changing at breakneck speed, I think you have to have a passion for technology, whatever role you have in security, like I think, you know, you have to have that underlying curiosity for how things are changing in all in all seriousness. So stay close to things. But equally be humble, I suppose, and admit that when things move at a thousand miles an hour, you you can't be a specialist in everything that you're doing. So while you you were this my back to my point about being technical, like yes, you need to be technical, but you also need to have kind of leaders in your in your various different functions in security who who know things at a deeper level than you. And, and while it's flattering, thank you for you to say I'm incredibly technical, that, you know, I'm conversationally very technical, but of course I have people in various different functions who, who do this stuff day in, day out, Frank, definitely. So make friends, make friends in the, the organization and keep on making make, friends. Make friends and try and never say no. Like, yes, but is much better. Or uh, But you can only really do that once you've instilled some form of, appropriate risk ownership in your role which is probably you and i on series four doing another another <laughs> yes another, but uh, another I'll, I'll, I'll throw you controversial things and you and you try to spin it in a positive way <laughs> and wow, saying lovely. yes that can be done if the right budget and people are allocated to it <laughs> i like the idea i like the Five idea. minutes question time yeah that, that sounds like that that'll be good i think politicians do that very very well so we, we should start recruiting security specialists and CISO from the political parties. <laughs> Based on the last 42 minutes, they do a much better job than me, mate. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Chris, I'm sorry I grilled you a little bit. Ah, you're good. No, I love it. Seriously. <laughs> I think it was a brilliant conversation, both from a technical perspective and from a, an executive perspective. And I really thank you for coming back. And we'll, we'll do the Series 4 and we'll deep dive on the... <laughs> the pm question <laughs> yes no, no awesome frank thank you for having me again it's always a pleasure mate. Uh, if anybody wanna wanna listen from you wanna see you whether i can see more of what you write because you you've wrote a book uh you you blog a lot uh i've seen you much more active on on recent time uh so where they can find more of you uh i suppose linkedin uh, what's my twitter handle i should know that chris h infosec is my is my twitter handle There's various bits and bobs on LinkedIn. Thank you for plugging the book. Appreciate that. So yeah, wrote a book on cyber risk management, which um, which again, it's great when people come out and say, I've used that in my organization or it's helped me with my studies and stuff. So yeah, anyone, if anyone has any questions on the book or anything that I do or anything I've written or call bullshit on things, that's fine. Reach out and uh, yeah, love to hear from you. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Chris. And everybody, thank you for listening in. I hope this was informational, beneficial, and, you know, a little bit of spark or controversial here and there. But Chris, thank you very much, everybody. Thank you and stay safe. Pleasure. Cheers, right. Bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. 
please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and post it on social media tagging Cybersecurity Cloud Podcast for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Discover other episodes at www.cybersecuritypodcast.com. 